0: This is Dissecting Dragons, a speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers, by writers and readers. Hello, and welcome to Dissecting Dragons. I'm Madeleine Vaughan. And I'm
1: Jules Ironside. This week, a picture says a thousand words. Rise of the graphic novel.
0: And this week, for once, was is brought to you by me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It would have to be really because well I do enjoy graphic novels I am not an expert by any by any account
0: <laughs> I'll explain why later I have got, got a theory okay <laughs> I have a theory um, now we have talked about graphic novels as part of a number of other discussions throughout the years uh, but um, I I suddenly surprised Jules by saying um, I want to I want to just talk about it tackle it as a subject itself <laughs> Jules' response was okay yep yeah, I'm game <laughs> <laughs> that's great you uh, you put the structure together <laughs> <laughs> but um, no seriously On a, the, the reason for it is that on a very personal level um, I have a, a connection to graphic novels and comics and have done for a very long time and While it may feel like the American superheroes often spring to mind when we talk about comics, um, my history with comics actually had nothing to do with Marvel, DC or anything like that growing up at all. I was actually introduced to them quite late in life, sort of when I I was already an adult. Um, My introduction to comics came through France, which actually has its own tradition. uh, in particular uh, The Adventures of Tintin and Asterix and Obliques um, did you ever read either of those? I did actually, my dad okay,
1: obviously it, it, well, never. Said, I got the English versions of them so it's Herge's Adventures of Tintin <laughs> and um, obviously The Adventures of Asterix I loved Asterix the Ghoul, that was very cool, um, I mostly saw the cartoons but then mm. later I encountered some of the comics um, I think my dad actually was reading The Adventures of Tintin. Um, yeah. Which is why he was kind of like, oh, you'll like this. <laughs>
0: like, okay. Yeah, yeah the, when we had lots and lots of copies of, of Tintin and Asterix. Um, and as a young dyslexic child, reading French was even harder for me than reading English. Um, but comics essentially offered a really great gateway into the language because the artwork offered context for the writing and made it a lot more intuitive. And so I have these distinct memories of feeling very left out because my my brother really, really enjoyed Asterix and, and things like that, and how I would struggle with reading, but I could sort of follow the story along by just looking at the pictures and then starting to pick up the odd words. Um, And it left a really big impression on me.
1: Yeah, which weirdly enough, that is kind of how I really learned to read, but I was very, very young at the time and it was not through graphic novels but it was through ladybird books so Mm. ladybird fairy tales and ladybird fables and things but again it was the pictures that gave it sort of contextualized the words so yeah as i i mean i've said before i actually learned to read before i was sent off to primary school which caused all sorts of problems which (laughs) we might get into um but um because i progressed from the typical children's picture books onto these ladybird books and then onto chat chapter books, books, and um, stuff really, really quickly. Um, I kind of missed, I think, not necessarily a developmental stage, but I missed a stage whereby I think most children go through a stage where the pictures are as important as the words, and I kind of missed that. So many, many years later, um, when I actually encountered a proper graphic novel again, I found it incredibly difficult to read and I've had to teach myself to read graphic novels which I know <laughs> sounds insane because obviously I can read the words but for some reason I just hit an overwhelm point with the art and and the words particularly with the layout sometimes I think some people um find the layout quite intuitive and it is once you've got used to them yeah but it initially because I'm so used to that left to right reading all the time it it did really throw me so um so yeah there there was that I think the other thing was my mother was always very sort of like no you can't read that you can't have that book that's too young for you so she was always kind of like pushing me on a little bit Hmm. whereas now it's actually better if you you know you'd have a seven-year-old come into the library and pick up a beloved picture book which was aimed at a child maybe half their age yeah and you'd hear parents say no that's too young for you and it's like well actually no because the language is usually quite sophisticated in those books it's it's aimed for parents to read it to a child except now this child will go back and read this beloved book for themselves yeah so it's a lot more complicated than this is for this age group and you must never stray out of it because children differ obviously
0: yeah absolutely okay so um We're going to start by basically defining what we mean by a graphic novel. Um, And there are lots of different types of kind of graphic novels. um, And different people have different opinions about what the label applies to and what the differences are between things like you know, comics, etc. So for simplicity's sake, today we're gonna to be using graphic novels as an umbrella term uh, to cover any long works that use artwork as a key part of the narrative. So including things like comic books and manga and things like that.
1: Yeah, I think, um, well, the main thing <laughs> is that the art needs to be an intrinsic part of the storytelling, as Madeline's already said. Um, so the artwork is needed for the story to work it's not an embellishment it's not like the sort of seven to ten year old books where you might get a picture with a chapter heading or a picture every few pages or so you know just to break up the text which is kind of why those pictures are there and they're yeah. very much appreciated by children yeah um, but, And it, and it's not the same as having a beautiful illustrated edition of something which you know many adults will enjoy this is a case of no you actually need the artwork the words on their own will not tell you the entire story
0: yeah. <clears throat> uh, now, you know, we we, d- we talked about picture books, but we're not going to be focusing on that today because honestly, I think that's a whole other discussion <laughs> on on its own. Yeah. So we'd end up getting very sidetracked, but perhaps another day if people are interested.
1: Yeah. We're also going to exclude short form comic strips like you might find in the newspaper, mostly because otherwise I will turn this into a discussion about Garfield because I love Garfield so much. <laughs> <laughs> we have not even touched on my love of Garfield. How it is one of the funniest things ever. Yeah. So uh, we'll skip that for today. Maybe yeah, another we'll skip time. that for today. Again,
0: yeah, yeah, another time. Okay, so now it's time for the nerdy part. Uh we're going to delve into history, <laughs> little excited <laughs> squeak um, and talk about art um, as a storytelling form um, or narrative artwork. Now imagery has been used as a tool for storytelling since before the conception of written language. Um, for example, there's a series of 44,000 year old cave paintings in South Sulawesi, Indonesia, which are considered to be the earliest known examples of storytelling.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And you can see with a lot of those, I mean, if you look at some of the cave paintings, you think cave paintings and you think people basically finger painting. And if you actually look at them, they're surprisingly sophisticated and they often convey movement of animals and figures and things. Um, And they appear to commemorate scenes that we don't have context for, but clearly indicate culture etc so they are fascinating to look at yeah absolutely
0: um what's more um is it probably wasn't just homo sapiens using artwork to communicate ideas and stories Uh, Which is a whole other conversation, which I think both of us could get very nerdy
1: about. (laughs) Yeah. And I really, at this point, I want to say I would like points for not going off on a massive tangent because I am super excited about that um, incredibly old structure that they found that predates Homo sapiens. Yeah. (laughs) I'm so excited about that. But we'll go into that another time, maybe.
0: Yeah. Now, as language developed, several cultures, including the ancient Egyptians and the Chinese, uh, developed uh, pictographic writing systems, uh, basing their characters on drawings. Uh, For example, the Chinese character tian, meaning uh, paddy or um, sort of field, like a rice field, is drawn like a square field that has been divided into four sections. It looks like a field. (laughs)
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um some of the other early forms of writing, so for example, the the Elder Futhark of mm-hmm. Norse languages, uh, you know, ancient uh, Icelandic, um the Ogham script, um which they're a little bit like they're a bit like, in some ways, some of the hieroglyphic languages. And there's not just one hieroglyphic language, by the way.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: which which use blocks of consonants. And again, it's how you arrange the words that then give you the vowel sounds, which is what, what made cracking them so difficult. <laughs> Obviously, it was a bit different with, with Ogham and with the Elder Futhark because um, at least some of it corresponded with a more recent language enough that we could go, oh, that's that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Now, even after the creation of written language, artwork continued and still continues to be used as a storytelling format, um, often with historical or cultural narratives. Um, We see examples of this worldwide uh, from the stone reliefs of ancient Assyria to the Mayan carvings of Yaxchilen to the Iron Age Gundestrup cauldron, which is awesome, by the way, Um, right down to the Bayer tapestry, (laughs) which is not a tapestry, but anyway. (laughs)
1: Yeah, there's many things wrong with the the description of the Bayer tapestry, but... (laughs) um, and what's really interesting about those sources as well is that it, it provides a historical resource that essentially, a lot of the time, contradicts or at least partially contradicts the known narrative of what historically happened. Yeah. So, I mean, if you want to take the Bayer Tapestry as an example, um, it was clearly wrought with a very different perspective on the outcome of the lead up to the Battle of Hastings and the Battle of Hastings itself um there's there's some snarky portraits of uh people behaving in ways that were not at all considered godly or chivalrous yeah um and there's various other things in there as well and it's weirdly it's a far more balanced account and it's a lot more of a sympathetic portrayal of what the saxons were doing than the normans would have had you believe after the battle was won by them so um it, the, these things which kind of get disregarded to a certain extent as historical sources because they're not written chronicles by, you know, monks and things. Like, monks can never be bribed to write certain things. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's really interesting how they survive and, as I said, contradict the new narrative.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And this kind of actually ties in with the fact that artwork... You know, it was used for um, (laughs) propaganda reasons uh, a lot of the time, but it was also particularly useful for religious organisations who would use it to spread stories even among their illiterate congregation um, or for those who didn't understand the services or ceremony. So, for example, if we look at sort of Catholic ceremonies they used to be in Latin, uh, most people would not understand Latin, but fortunately, there were pictures everywhere.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, that's an, a really good point. Obviously, people were considered illiterate if they didn't speak the language of the church, which, you know, had been a dead language for probably coming up to a thousand years by that point yeah (laughs) and it's like yeah you don't speak this thousand year old language that no one speaks anymore ergo you're illiterate it's like what are you talking about i can read
0: and i can write my name yeah (laughs) in my own language exactly now however it wasn't just a practical tool um the artwork actually also brought the stories to life in a way that was visceral and engaging but um, again, anyone who's ever stepped foot into a Catholic church can attest to that. Like, it's one thing to hear about the crucifixion story. It is another entirely to see it drawn out in a series of increasingly gory images. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: can you remember the most horrifying story you were told? At, the first really horrifying story you were told as a child? <sighs>
0: no but i can't have vivid memories of the most horrifying pictures that i saw in in churches as a child <laughs>
1: i remember it was my first day at school my first day at school was really really eventful i've already described some of it in the past so i won't go into it again but one of the things we had at story time was not an actual story it was a graphic and i do mean graphic and gory description of the crucifixion story now prior to this i had been dragged off to church since i was a a small baby in arms kind of thing Mm -hmm. and i do have the vaguest memories of once again putting my foot in my mouth when i was in a church um because they had a life-size jesus on a crucifix on one wall in this church it was you know it's an old well an old catholic church that we we went to every Mm -hmm. sunday and i remember holding my grandmother's hand and walking past and pausing and saying to my grandmother, "Who's that?" And she's like, "Oh, well, that's Jesus." And I said, "Well, he hasn't got any clothes on, and it's a church. I think that's rude." And I was like <laughs> two at the time. <laughs> because my grandmother, who you know, for all her being a small, fierce Irish woman, had a great sense of humour. Absolutely, pissed herself laughing at this and thought this was a, the funniest thing ever. <laughs> but then, obviously, um, a couple of years later, I was at primary school and getting my first story time with stephen king style (laughs) detail (laughs) about this poor man who got tortured to death for saying hey guys maybe you should just not kill each other and it kind of put the context of everything i would seen in the church that had no real meaning to it before that um into perspective and i honestly i had nightmares about that i distinctly remember that's that being told to me and it was yeah, that, that is my first horror story. My first horror story was when I was four years old and being told
0: about the crucifixion. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Catholic primary school. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, for me, it was the opposite. Whereas I knew the story, but it was the pictures which actually had the impact for me. The images and the statues. Yeah. Um. The point is that there was a general understanding that artwork wasn't just a means to an end, but a powerful storytelling tool in its own right. Which leads us on to the beginning of the graphic novel. Yes. So
1: by the 4th century Common Era, the Chinese had established a tradition of narrative painting, which they have continued to build on right up to this day. Chinese painters created elaborate artworks across long scrolls that depicted fantastical and historical tales. These stories were not only used as visual entertainment, but could also be very political. Um, I will also add here that around a similar era, Rome was doing the same thing, although most of what they were doing was quite pornographic.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah, and we will get into the... Well, we're not going to get into it, but we will mention that as well <laughs> later on. Um now, the Chinese tradition actually then went on to inspire the Japanese, who around 700 CE began to produce emakimono um, which were illustrated hand scrolls. Now, while some only used artwork to tell the story, others began to incorporate calligraphy between the pictures so that each illustration started to become narrated. And these scrolls were basically the beginning of the creation of manga.
1: Yeah. Narrative artwork wasn't only accessible to the wealthy in Asia either. Woodblock printing meant books of art could easily be produced, distributed... Oh, sorry, produced and distributed. And this, again, included a lot of pornography, because if you're going to paint pictures, why would you not make them pornographic? Yeah. Anyway, as Madeline said, we're not going to go into that beyond saying that certain parts of this has had a knock-on effect with manga even to this day.
0: Yes. Um, And also, woodblock printing and the printing press similarly allowed artwork to be easily distributed across Europe. Once again, including a lot of (laughs) pornography. I mean, if you look at old Roman graffiti, pre-anybody really
1: writing anything down except to keep tallies of, of livestock and stuff, yeah. a lot of it was penises and a lot of yeah. it was very pornographic and again with these scrolls the egyptians um the karma sutra
0: <laughs> yeah the karma sutra as well Yeah, like if
1: we if it was about sex most of our cultures thought yeah we should write this down we don't want future generations to lose this yeah This is too good. (laughs) So smutty fan fiction of the human race was widely distributed way before uh, books themselves were.
0: Yes. Now, it wasn't until 1828 that the first example of what we would now consider as a graphic novel was actually produced. Um, And it was a comic by a Swiss gentleman named Rudolf Topfner. Uh, titled Histoire de Monsieur Vieillebois, or The Adventures of Obadiah Oldbuck. And it was done in a caricaturist style and became very, very popular, Um, so much so that it was translated and republished in both America and in England. And I actually think, weirdly, it was pirated (laughs) in England. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, in some ways, yeah, because then you had, around this time or just after it, you had the inception of the Penny Dreadful, didn't you? So, yeah. Which were largely comics that could sometimes and were sometimes used to spread a propagandist message. Sometimes they were used seditiously as well. And sometimes yeah. it was just because I want to write a horror story and nobody else will publish it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, while short form comics were very well established already by this point, um, Topfner's work played a crucial part in inspiring long art form narratives, and by the 1900s the comic book boom had begun. Um, with post-war America and Japan swapping influences that would establish the current trends that we find in modern graphic novels today. So,
1: what makes graphic novels so special?
0: Okay, so while it may seem obvious, um, but as we uh, said before, the thing that sets graphic novels apart is the visual medium. Artwork adds a whole other dimension to storytelling, particularly when it's used to bring each moment of the narrative to life. But there are several particular ways in which it can do this, so we're gonna discuss a few of them.
1: Yeah. Okay, so so one is obviously creating context. Graphic novels can use the artwork to give the reader context. This can range from providing a sense of period, which is great if you're somebody who wants to read a historical story but doesn't necessarily want pages and pages of Victorian-esque description. Yeah. Um, uh, to conveying tone through expression. So in terms of, you, again, within a novel, you might say um no don't do that his tone was terse or he don't do that don't do that he said in a worried tone or don't do that he said sharply etc you you have to add kind of the adverbs etc or really have the context specific within the text yeah um in a graphic novel you can it, it gives you back that dimension of having facial expressions and body language
0: yeah absolutely um which if you think about how much of communication is through body language and expression and stuff like that, um, it, it's brilliant. I think (laughs) it really does bring the whole thing to life. Um, and does add that whole other dimension, which otherwise, um, is a lot harder to kind of bring forward. Yeah. Um, the next thing is subtlety. Uh, The artwork in graphic novels provides an opportunity to include a lot of subtle details and extras that might otherwise require large amounts of description and potentially exposition that might dull the overall impact. Um, Certain techniques can also be used to draw the reader's eye or attention to certain places or to invoke ideas or concepts. by creating parallels for example um by uh you know using certain colors angles etc it's actually really clever
1: yeah definitely um really good graphic novel type artists are really good at creating foreshadowing through these means as well so the artwork itself provides another dimension of possibilities um by again using colors to create parallel visuals um, you can lean into that and then do the pr- pathetic fallacy, etc., as well if you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, for readers who are used to picking up on narrative cues, visual foreshadowing can offer an interesting alternative. Or Al- alternatively, for those people who uh, are a bit more visually inclined when it comes to learning and picking up story, mm-hmm. they're, they're probably going to get things a bit quicker.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It is very. So I've definitely read sort of graphic novels where I've kind of got. got thought oh wow what a twist i didn't see that coming and then i've gone back and been like oh my god it was there the whole time but it was a lot of it was in the artwork which is very good (laughs) so have you ever read any of the manga classics where they've literally
1: taken 19th century literature and they've done a manga of it yeah i've read i I i just really like the style so i've read jane eyre um in manga style and i've read les miserables in manga style and yeah, you, you get all those things of the way that they're in... Essentially, they're, they're mostly black and white, except for big scenes which have lots of splashy colour, etc. But yeah. the way that the shading and stuff is done, and again, it's quite subtle, is telling you what the mood of the story is.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, all of this basically has a whole dynamic flair as well. The artwork in graphic novels allows for much more dynamic scenes, particularly those that involve a lot of movement, such as fights or action sequences, which are actually quite hard to just write about in a book. Um, And similarly, it offers a lot more opportunities for visual humour, which doesn't always translate as well into text. Yeah. Um, it's it's, honestly why i think a lot of graphic novels and stuff like that have a certain type of humor which you just don't see in books in the same way
1: yeah i can kind of see what you mean there um you might get some of it in anime but then that's kind of an offshoot of the graphic novel anyway yeah it is yeah um graphic novels are particularly suited to stories that involve big fantastical elements as well um, which might be challenging to picture or create as convincing on the big screen less so nowadays maybe if you've got the budget yeah <laughs> um, but uh, certainly if you want to go back to i don't know 10 years ago 20 years ago um let's say the effects were very different
0: <laughs> yeah um you know I do think that even now artwork can bring magic to life in a dynamic and more consistent way. Um, you know, with a lot of sort of fantasy stuff, I actually find that animated versions, um, are much better than live action a lot of the time, because even if you do have a big budget and you can bring these kind you have these wonderful visuals and stuff like that. Um, there is a consistency that goes along with animated um, movies and things like that, which makes it, I think, more kind of... (laughs) I'm going to say more real. (laughs) (laughs) It, it, It feels sort of more atmospheric, it feels more natural, and I think you can go even bigger with it, potentially. Um, it's a lot harder to do that if you're doing a live action
1: yeah it certainly can be yeah I I think you maybe get this it's it's almost like the, the hard versus soft magic systems you get a lot more of the overall magical feel I think from anime
0: yeah absolutely and it's also like sometimes certain things don't translate very well when you kind of move them into uh you know from artwork to kind of the main main screen like there are certain things um well i'm gonna mention it later on but punderworld right you've got characters who are visually actually different colors you know um, like their skin is different colors you you have characters in the background who are blue and pale green and stuff like that um, which really kind of brings that fantasy to life and if you try and do that um, with actors it doesn't tend to look as good or as realistic it looks very much like well they've painted that person blue or green because
1: yeah that's kind of what they've done
0: exactly <laughs> yeah <laughs>
1: So yeah I mean effects are getting better all the time but uh, yeah if you want to compare it to some of like the fantasy films of my childhood for example <laughs> and they they're beloved for a reason because generally the ones that really last tell a good story even if they were made for like 2 pounds 50 in a bag of chips yeah but looking <laughs> genuinely looking at the uh, at the special effects they had to work with at the time it's like I can see that's made of plasticine, you know?
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I don't care, because I still love 80s Clash of the Titans, okay? It's incredibly <laughs>
0: problematic.
1: <laughs> the effects are not great. That film was my favourite film for a long time when I was a child.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, the next thing is that you can have the omniscient viewpoint... Um, The artwork in graphic novels offers the reader a more omniscient view of the world, sort of external to the character, without losing the sense of character intimacy. Um, Omniscient narration can be quite tricky in a book unless you get it 100% right, because you end up feeling a bit too distant. Um, but in a graphic novel it gives the writers the opportunity to create tension and atmosphere by giving the reader insights that the character doesn't have um, or by creating contrast between the character's viewpoint and a very contradictory reality. Um, So you can have the character sort of thinking oh great i just made the right absolutely the right choice and everything around them that they are oblivious to is saying absolutely not this is <laughs> this is not the right choice and we see it used a lot in movies nowadays where you're like you see the character there whistling away and then there's sinister music in the background yeah um but you know the the whole point is that you would you were able to do that in graphic novels using artwork um kind of without having to use music and stuff like that
1: yeah definitely um metaphor this is actually you know pretty good one as well i mean the artwork in graphic novels doesn't have to be and often isn't entirely literal So visual metaphors can be used to create things like a sense of movement or sound, but can also incorporate theme, emotion and add to atmosphere. Um, A good example of this is Lore Olympus, which I have mixed feelings about, to be honest. It's a Hades and Persephone retelling kind of Mm -hmm. thing, but set in the modern world. So Hades is wearing a sharp suit and persephone is studying a local college kind of thing and all the gods are are quite literally different colors and they're all one color kind of thing and yeah um and it's got quite a a weird sort of loose soft style to it as well you'd you'd have real trouble adapting that into an actual live action film i think
0: yeah yeah absolutely um finally it's fun graphic novels are fun. Many find them easy to read, though of course some don't. Um, The visual details uh, make rereading them enjoyable, because you can go back and see things that you missed before. The stories tend to be pacey, and the fact is that nice artwork is always a pleasure. (laughs) Yeah. We like looking at nice things. Good artwork is good artwork. (laughs) So it's something that can be kind of re-enjoyed, sort of re-read and enjoyed over and over. Which um, is where
1: I would just add this caveat on, and this is not a judgment call on anybody, but um, certainly the older DC and Marvel type comics, um, Mm. the artwork, particularly when, no, in fact, showing male or female characters, they had this thing they called basically metal flesh, where it looked like, the characters were just so they were proportioned like greek statues but more so yeah if you see what i mean and there was clearly a hint of titillation looking at either men or women actually i don't think it's just about oh look at the, the scantily clad women the men were just as scantily clad in their way yeah and you see that again in other things as well there's a, a graphic novel series which is kind of a horror comic take on alice in wonderland where again the main character is sort of like you are deliberately dressing this character in a provocative way and you know what it's working because guess what most humans like looking at that sort of thing
0: yeah absolutely yeah Uh, so
1: I don't I, I think sometimes where graphic novels can come under fire is people say oh well that's rubbish because of this big sexualized component and I think the thing is, it's telling a story. It's telling them generally with adult characters. And it is, it's like, well, while you're looking at my pretty pictures, do you want to look at something that's kind of sexy at the same time? And I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that. I think if you're going to apply that that logic to it, then you should also be saying, well, you shouldn't be reading smutty fan fiction either. Because it's, you know, just because it's not visual with, with the smutty fan fiction, um, it, it's largely the same sort of... Uh, set of proclivities that's being catered for yep. so um yeah okay i know we're back to the the really dicey roman skulls showing <laughs> sc- sc- skulls scrolls <laughs> showing showing pornographic material but um
0: yeah, I I, I I wouldn't put it past the romans to scrawl pornographic material no. on skulls no I mean, you just wouldn't would you <laughs> certainly not certainly not when they're in their most corrupt
1: stages yeah um, <laughs> so i guess what i'm saying is yeah they're fun they're a pleasure they can be lots of different types of pleasure as well and it doesn't necessarily mean that you're a pervert if you're like yeah i kind
0: of like looking at this stuff
1: <laughs> yeah absolutely it, it's and once... not as straight up as saying pure pornography i guess
0: yeah and once again we have to remember that the artwork often isn't literal these are not really meant to look like real people they are the artwork is is presenting an idea you know if you look at again if let's say the the dc comics batman and superman they they just look humongous they've got these massive shoulders disproportionate shoulders small waists and and you know they kind of look like a like a Dorito which has been (laughs) placed on a couple of sticks you know they're they're huge they're very muscular and it's like we're not literally supposed to think that they're this size that they'd be proportionately this size the artwork is representing this sense of particularly with Batman the sense of kind of a looming presence above a lot of strength, etc. So you've kind of got to take that into account as well. It is both, as you said, titillation, but also metaphorical and representative.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and we're back to, unless you're deliberately showing something horrible, why wouldn't you want to look at something that is aesthetically pleasing to most people? Yeah, absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with that.
0: (laughs) Okay, so... We're going to discuss a few graphic novels. We've both read so many, um, so we're gonna try and keep it relatively contained, but we've got a list each. Um, And yeah, we're gonna have a look through uh, a few graphic novels that we've particularly enjoyed and discuss what worked and what didn't work with them. Um, And I'm gonna actually start us off with Punderworld which was actually a gift from Jules to me, which I really, really, really love. I'm the worst friend, because
1: if I don't know what to get you, I'll get you a book.
0: <laughs> so, like, that's, you that you really don't need to apologize. Um, so Ponderworld is a, um, an adaptation of uh, the Persephone and Hades myth, yeah, and it's very sweet. <laughs> I love Linda Sedgwick's take on it,
1: um, I, and we're going to talk about the Sedgwick's a bit in a moment because I it's a husband and wife team, and they both they sort of you can tell that their styles have kind of like commodified each other, but we'll we'll get into that. But I love her take on it because she doesn't really shy away from some of the nastiness. She doesn't really shy away from some of the more problematic aspects of greek mythology or all the fact there's kind of like there's a lot of incest here if we don't explain this yeah um, but she she does these really beautiful sort of um characters and visual dioramas and things and i just lo- love her take on that entire story because as we've discussed in depth about hades and persephone it is not a story in its origins about a young girl being abducted and raped it's just it's just not okay no <laughs> and i'm this is where i have a little bit of an issue with Laura olympus because the author has clearly decided to work some shit out by going down that route and right. that's fine that that is it's quite a compulsive like web comic to read but i wouldn't go and buy the graphic novels just because The art style for Laura Olympus I both like it and dislike it at the same time it's too metaphorical I want to see actual characters not ideas Mm -hmm. and I also don't think you can say well these are characters are just ideas and then throw in things like sexual assault and and what have you Um, so while I kind of like it and I respect what the author's doing I don't like her take I love what Linda Sedgwick's done with Punderworld I can't wait for the next one to be out (laughs) yeah which by the way she is releasing episodically on webtoons yes (laughs) so if you can stand to wait between episodes go on webtoons if you can't stand then maybe wait for the end of the year end of next year when she'll release the graphic novel
0: yeah honestly I think one of the things that really works for me with Punderworld is I I really enjoy the fact that it's full colour yeah me too um And it's incredibly expressive. Um, She, and not just in terms of sort of the expressions, she's very good with expressions, but there are lots of lovely little details that really bring it to life. For example, um, Persephone, has sort of flowers in her hair and things like that. But they kind of bloom and die and bloom and die, depending on sort of what her mood is and what's happening. Um, And it's this really, really lovely little visual that I think kind of brings a whole other element to the story. Um, And it's full of that. And there's a lovely sense of movement. And she's, she's just very good with... I think using colour to create atmosphere... um, And I just really enjoy the very small details that she's included, like how Zeus has this little crown which is lightning around his head, and how it moves and changes uh, I, th- I think there's a great one for example where he's surprised at one point and the lightning rears up <laughs> like yeah. like a pair of little legs going ah! <laughs> yeah,
1: it, it, it is perfect I love that um, I have to say if you follow her on Patreon which I did for a little while and I may do again um you get all her smutty content as well which I really enjoy her smutty Punderworld stuff <laughs> okay. which has been really good uh, that's worth also, knowing <laughs> but also her, um, the other comic or graphic novel that she does which again you can follow on Webtoons and there's like four episodes of it now, four full graphic novels of it now so if you want you can go get it on Webtoons but I would strongly say please go and buy this author's books because she doesn't overcharge for them and I want people to support her um, yeah is Bloodstain, which is a Beauty and the Beast meets Frankenstein type scenario with a <laughs> very, very slow burn, um slight age gap romance thing going on there with two very unlikely characters you've got. Basically, the main character is about 26 and she cannot hold down the job. She's got a big mouth. She always puts her foot in it. She's always clumsy. She's always getting things wrong. Even though, you know, she is basically a biochemist. Oh, wow. Um, and she's she's desperate. She's moved back in with her brother and sister-in-law again. And they're like, you have got to start contributing around here. And she feels so bad, she starts looking for jobs. And she finds one that's on the other side of the country. Um, so she phones up and asks, and he said, right, well, if you can get here by six o'clock, the job's yours. And she's like, six o'clock, it's a 12-hour flight. It's, it's eight o'clock in the morning here. And he's like, well, those are the terms. I assume that you're going to be like resourceful enough to manage it and puts the phone down on her and she's like well shit and she literally just packs a suitcase runs out the house forgets to text her boyfriend and what have (laughs) you and gets on the flight and she finally turns up at this spooky house on an island in the middle of a storm gets there and the guy who opens the door seems perfectly normal and apparently does all the cooking around the place looks at her and goes hi who are you and she's like i'm the new assistant he's like oh, you spoke to him while he was half asleep, didn't you? And she's like, what? Does that mean I did a job? <laughs> and he's like, no, 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 no. I think, you know, actually he really needs an assistant. I've been telling him he should get one. Come on, I'll show you what your room is and everything. And it, it goes from there. And he, he, the, the mad scientist, I say mad scientist, he's not a mad scientist. He's just spent, he just gets so little sleep and he kind of has only a nodding like acquaintanceship with a brush <laughs> home and things. So and he you know, one of his big things is he likes takeout chicken with tomato sauce. So his lab coat looks like it's got bloodstains <laughs> on. Okay. But his his name is Vladislav Stein. <laughs> and she miss she miss she's so tired from this flight when he said hi, I'm Vlad Stein. Um, she hears Dr. Bloodstain and he's like, oh ha ha, that's really funny. That's what they used to call me at school and she's like no, 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 no! Seriously, it's not your name. She's like freaking the fuck out. So they don't set off on the best foot, but it's so it's so rewarding seeing them gradually come to some sort of mutual understanding. It's really.
0: But it sounds amazing.
1: It's so good. It's really, really good. I highly
0: recommend it. Ah, oh, okay. And is that just on webtoons, or is, or can you actually? You can buy the graphic novels. Um, the fourth one's just come out, I
1: think. So the first four there's gonna be seven in the series overall. Well. Wow. So you can you can if you want to. You can read it on webtoons and that'll keep going probably for a couple of days, or you can get the graphic novels and I've got the graphic novels because quite honestly, um I just wanted the whole
0: thing <laughs> in accessible That's incredible. What what's <laughs> remind me of the title again? I'm immediately putting that on my Christmas list. <laughs> It's, it's
1: blood stain, but stain is spelled S T E I N, so stein.
0: Okay, thank you. That sounds incredible. <laughs> 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 okay, uh, the next one I want to talk about um, is, again, one that I've mentioned before, and that is uh, The Monkey King um, by Chaiko which honestly i've mentioned before so i don't want to um kind of go on about it too much but it is probably my favorite adaptation of journey to the west so far yeah um and there's a number of different reasons for that i think the format has allowed for both a great sense of originality um in kind of bringing the characters to life in a way that is sort of sympathetic whilst also being incredibly faithful to the the stories. Um, the art style really, really works with the story. I mean it's it's really nice to see a kind of a version of 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 Sun Wukong who is, you know, absolutely definitely a monkey i mean that is a monkey right there (laughs) that's that's a monkey (laughs) um and it, it sort of nods towards some kind of traditional artwork styles um chinese artwork styles whilst also being comedic very expressive um and allowing elements of the grotesque without the artwork itself being grotesque, um, which I really, really do enjoy. Um, I think also the panel format is very, very easy to follow. It's not overly complex. It is quite easy to read. And I just think it's wonderful. Um, It's a really, really good format for telling the story so yeah if you if you're interested in journey to the west i highly 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 recommend this graphic novel as um a great version of the story yeah cool um i'm gonna mention
1: uh, sorry i I will get away from the the (laughs) sejak team at some point but I have recommended this before and I know people probably think it's an odd choice for me, but that is Sunstone by Stefan uh-huh. Cedric, um, which is a series it's basically a female female romance where they kind of meet because one of them is writing smutty BDSM fanfic and the other one is kind of like really interested in reading her fanfic and then make suggestions and they kind of bond over it and then one day the person who is writing it sends out a message saying i think we should meet in person and the idea is not that they're kind of like going to start dating that because the whole thing is no they don't want to start dating but one of them is very much a sub and the other one is very much a dom and they're kind of like but we could be kind of in this friendship where we're scratching each other's itches because there isn't anybody else who's like really doing it for us and it kind of goes through the whole sort of um You know, if you're into sort of more kinky BDSM, non traditional sex type thing, but in a way that's really understandable and accessible, and strangely enough, really sweet as well. And the the sort of thing like basically, the people who are into this stuff are sex nerds, as in they really enjoy the process of planning, Um, they enjoy the play of power dynamics and things like that. All the stuff you see, all the 50 shades of grey bollocks. Um, all of that is actually really inaccurate because this is all based on a system of mutual trust. Um, And you can't really have that scenario and that dynamic without it. Um, So it isn't a case of one person's doing all the control and the other person isn't. And it was just a really cute way of explaining all of that and yet gets you really invested in this story and what it's like to grow up and have those kind of kinks and urges and Mm. things and not be able to find anybody who's kind of into it with you um and you've got the the dom ali she had a friend at university who was the person she originally sort of explored it all with and has become her Mm -hmm. best friend and he's like yeah but the thing is we were only really doing it together because there was nobody else and the problem is we're both doms and Ultimately, together two doms don't work, just because they both
0: want to be the one who's doing the planning and isn't. Yeah, charged. I mean, honestly, I was one hundred percent waiting for you to say two doms don't make a right. Uh, but... <laughs>
1: <laughs> but again, it's a really sweet exploration of friendship and stuff. And I think people go, oh, the lifestyle, and they freak out and they think you're keeping somebody as a slave or something. And the reality is the practicality behind all of that is that it's it's almost impossible to do that there are people who take it to extremes but even the like the bdsm community think they're a bit fucking weird if you see what i mean so this isn't like yes you should be into this this is kind of like keep an open mind and enjoy this love story which is really really cute i've got to say it's really sweet obviously these are very graphic graphic novels yes You will you will definitely see genitalia on the page, here. <laughs> and quite often it's dressed in rubber. So be warned. <laughs> <laughs> or ropes or other stuff. Um, but it's and it's a really sweet group of friends as well. The other one I will add is that is also uh, Stefan Cedric. His work is the fine print, and this is a, again it's kind of a love story. But this is what happens when this girl who was always kind of a plain Jane character Uh um, discovers that she is beautiful and she kind of leaves the man that she actually does love behind because partly because she's scared, but partly because she's just been given a massive modeling contract. (laughs) So it's a real ugly duckling story. And then she's, she's, we come in at the point where she's like, she's trying to get him back. And he's like, no, I'm engaged to somebody else. You left me. You decided I wasn't good enough for you. And she's completely brokenhearted about it. So she signs a contract with a succubus. As you do. <laughs> without reading the fine print. <laughs> um and it ends up, you know, meanwhile you've got all the incubuses and succubuses and other demons and things all trying to reach the top of their career ladders. And there's an incubus and a succubus who are in direct competition and they both get her contract so she's kind of like brokenhearted but up for some fun times and they're they're both trying to be the one to win this this top echelon uh, <laughs> position by getting her to admit that she had the most fun with them kind of thing and it just goes on from there and again if you don't want like really graphic um again probably quite bdsm sex in your graphic novels this one would be for you <laughs> But if you're a bit more open to the non-traditional type of stuff, um, it's really funny. It's really, really good. I don't just read speech <laughs> comics. It's just these are two really good examples, and I just want to point them out because I'm like, don't be put off because people say, oh, it's about BDSM. Actually, the story is very good. <laughs> and everyone's like, ah, oh, yes, Jules, the story. Yes. The story. It's like, Well, yes, actually I am. That doesn't mean I don't like looking at the boobs, because obviously I do. i'm sorry i've completely derailed this conversation
0: haven't i (laughs) no no (laughs) Uh, okay so from that i'm actually gonna go to something which is completely different Sweeter, purer, Much, more much sweeter, much, much purer Much, much more innocent um, And that is Heartstopper By Alice Osman um, Which is A really, really Sweet um, LGBT uh, YA Book um, And It's obviously been adapted, actually. It's been adapted very, very well into a TV series. Um, But I do really recommend the graphic novels. Um, The art style is very cute. It's quite a simple one. um, And particularly if you're sort of quite used to um, much more sort of detailed um, kind of graphic novels... This feels much simpler. There's almost a, ch- a kind of not a childish element to it, but it it is. It's there's a doodling kind of element to it, um, which actually really adds to the charm, and it makes the ex- it makes it very expressive. The expressions are really really lovely. Um, she's very very good at doing expressions, um, and one of the key things is sort of the use of sort of kind of little stars, little leaves and things like that, uh, which she uses um, throughout in order to kind of once again, metaphorically create um, this, this kind of lovely sense of mood. And it has become such a staple that they actually included it in, the TV series, these drawn kind of leaves or hearts or the sparks that go between the characters. Um, And it it is really, really lovely. It's a wonderful kind of coming of age story, coming sort of into yourself in terms of figuring out your own identity, first love, um, sort of friendships. And I really cannot recommend it enough. I think it's adorable, very heartfelt and very visually pleasing. I have to admit, I didn't really get on with them, but
1: I think it's partly because the story doesn't really interest me. Ergo, the artwork didn't capture me, which kind of begs the question, so what is it that hooks you about a graphic novel? Is it the art or is it the story? And it seems to be a combination for me. Um, That doesn't mean it's not good. I've read a lot of Alice Oseman's books and really enjoyed them, but just for some reason, it just didn't click, so... To each their own
0: <laughs> yeah and that's that's fair enough it is very much a slice of life story so if you're not that interested in slice of life um, you might very well find that it isn't for you but for me I've, i i think i also picked it up at the right time um, i found it quite a gentle and easy read um, and it is very sweet i mean they do have some drama and things going throughout but it is actually quite gentle as a as a graphic novel particularly the first yeah. one um so for something completely
1: different i in terms of the artwork the stories are kind of like in some ways quite basic but i really like yes. the mouse guard books um because the artwork is just so beautiful the actual stories themselves are like pretty straightforward um but i always liked the brian jacks moss flower and red wall type books and they reminded me a mm. bit of that but obviously not as gory so, yes, I enjoy those ones.
0: <laughs> okay, um, the last one I'm going to talk about today. I've I've forced myself to um to be. I also noticed that I haven't actually mentioned any manga because I do actually read a fair amount of manga, and I haven't mentioned any today. Um, but i i think i talk enough about it in other instances that i kind of i don't need to so um the last one i'm going to talk about is the prince and the dressmaker by jen wang this was another one that was forced on (laughs) madeline this is (laughs) so great (laughs) yeah jules bought me this one um and honestly it is a delight um very stylistic art um and it is in full color which i really really do enjoy it 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 adds a whole other kind of dynamic of vibrancy to the story um and it works very very well with the art style which is very um cartoonish um and bright i just think it's really really lovely i really really do enjoy it it's a wonderful story um it's very sweet it's beautifully drawn um and it's got a great sense of pace it has I it's think. really cute um i read it and uh then alan was like
1: what's that and i'm like this really cute graphic novel and he's like oh all right. i haven't got anything to read in the bath can i borrow it and i'm like mm, i don't really want you to read it in the bath but okay and all I could hear uh, I knew exactly what point he'd got he reads graphic novels way faster than me as in way faster. it would take me a day it would take him an hour kind of thing that much faster and for some reason he just seems to be able to pull it all in because I think he grew up reading a lot of comics and stuff which obviously I didn't um, but I knew the bit he'd got to because there was this sudden uproar of laughter coming from the bathroom
0: <laughs> I, I know exactly where you
1: are in that book because it is very funny as well <laughs> and heartwarming
0: <laughs> it is very heartwarming the ending yeah. really got me, it hit me so hard I really enjoyed it it's really <laughs> sweet. I mean I've
1: read other stuff as well, I really enjoyed the, the continuation of Buffy via the comics that Joss Whedon was actually allowed to be involved in um, because they were still very much Buffy I don't like the reboot, I keep trying but the art style is kind of harsh and unlovely and the story doesn't make sense And it also seems Mm. to be suffering from that, okay, well, we can't have this blonde white girl being the one with the power kind of thing, so let's spread it around a bit more. And it's like, you're you're almost, you would have done better if you'd not gone, let's reboot Buffy, let's do a spin-off in that universe, because it would have been a lot easier for me to get on board with. But just generally, I don't really like it. I don't like lots of harsh lines. It doesn't have to be super soft, Mm. but I don't like lots of harsh lines. Um, I actually got as far as they went, the graphic novels of the Twilight books because I loved the artwork. The artwork is <laughs> so gorgeous. It's almost almost classic manga, but it's not. It's a little bit more mm. proportioned, like real life, um, and it's beautiful. Just that, I mean, I, I mesmerised myself just looking at pages where, the way that the artist has drawn the hair, and it's just so incredibly detailed. <laughs> It sounds like a weird thing to obsess
0: over, but it's like, yeah, the movement you've got into that, it's amazing. No, no, honestly, I completely get what you mean. Um, I also lied. I do have one more that I want to mention, um, which is actually at the top of my list. And for some reason, I completely (laughs) skipped over it. We've obviously had Hamish Steele come on to the show um, a couple of times, and he's talked about most recently his uh the netflix series dead end paranormal park which is obviously based on dead endia which is um uh, which began as a webcomic and is now you know onto itself a comic um now we've talked about that but i'm actually also going to mention and talk about hamish's first uh graphic novel which was published which is pantheon (laughs) that's another one where alan borrowed it and
1: then there was a sudden guffaw and i'm like yeah again i know where you've got to
0: (laughs) (laughs) um and i absolutely adore pantheon i mean i adore all of hamish's work but pantheon for me holds a very very special place because It is not only actually a very accurate uh, depiction of the Egyptian mythos and pantheon, um, it leans into the humour and once again a lot of people have tried to depict kind of the Egyptian gods on the big screen and I honestly just feel like the way that Hamish did it was potentially the most accurate yeah, version actually. i've ever <laughs> seen the most believable <laughs> i one hundred one be- hundred percent believe in his set and his horrors
1: <laughs> yeah. um yeah final one that i will mention i i feel like i cheat because i will really really love a story or find that that story supplies something for me that I can't get anywhere else and then I will get multiple versions of it so I'll I'll have a hard copy I'll have a Kindle edition I'll I'll maybe have an audiobook and if there is a beautiful artwork edition of a graphic novel version I'll get that and I've got this most gorgeous graphic novel version of The Last Unicorn by Peter S. Beagle So, again, I'm not sure if that really counts because it didn't start off life as a graphic novel. It's obviously an animated feature film as well. Um, But I just love the way that they've adapted it in this graphic novel as as well. I tried reading um, The Boys, and I got through the first two, and I enjoyed them. And then I felt no Uh urge to pick up the third book. And they just took me so long because part of it is they're deliberately drawn in quite a, a harsh way. Um, but part of it was just kind of like I think it was like the story was so relentlessly horrible which I don't mind Uh. necessarily but I just got to the point where I'm like okay that's fine now I've finished that one and I just didn't get that urge to pick up the next thing so uh, it's difficult I'm trying to work out what it is about a graphic novel that will make me not pick it up oh I should have mentioned Fence by S.C. Passett
0: yeah, I'm surprised that you didn't oh my mention God, fence, Because, <laughs> okay, look, cards on
1: the table, and this isn't a, a reflection of anything, but if I'm going for a romance, most of the time I will like a female-female romance or a male-female romance or something that's a bit less traditional. like <laughs> One of them's a vampire, one of them's a horned demon kind <laughs> of thing. Um, but generally, I'm not a romance reader. And boy-boy romance, where it's two teenage boys... Um, generally i' I'll, I won't generally go for that I won't pick it up um just because uh it does it just doesn't really appeal to me just generally and also there is that secondary there's a there's a there's a yick factor with sort of older women sort of really getting off on watching two teenage boys together which I find a bit ugh, and some of them are, are written a bit like mm. that um, but again we're not getting into the whole pornography thing. <laughs> not the hand tie <laughs> um, no <laughs> but fence is different because it's just it is the, the slowest of slow I mean we're like seven books in and, and like still haven't got together they're still kind of arguing with each other um, they they will now sit and have <laughs> breakfast together and they're admitting that the other one might be quite a good fencer um, but that's about it it's uh, two lads that a very elite for fencing academy and as you go through you get a little bit of their backstories and um, one of the, this this cocky newcomer is very good. Has got a lot of raw talent, but he's just he's kind of out of his depth. Um, and it is it's all around fencing, which you know should not be the sexy martial art type sport that it is, but yet somehow it is. <laughs> um, they're really really good, and they are again very much slice of life. If your your life involves fencing, obviously, um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, they really work. So why did they work for me? And why did Heartstopper not really work? I don't know. Question in the air right there.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it, at the end of the day, um, ultimately, just as with books of any genre, there you can have two books which are a part of the same genre, part of the same niche, and one works for you and one doesn't just because. Um, and I think that is one of the really important things to remember when it comes to graphic novels is that graphic novels is not kind of a set sort of thing. When we talk about comics, that doesn't mean that it's only one type of thing. There are numerous different types of graphic novels in the world. And honestly, I do believe that even if you are someone who doesn't enjoy graphic novels or comics, there is one in the world which is for you, which you will enjoy because they come in all sorts of ranges, all sorts of sizes, all sorts of styles, um, all sorts of lengths, and they can cater to adults, as we have mentioned, um, as well as to kids and to all tastes. I really think that they are a diverse and unique and enjoyable format that we actually have a long history of, despite what a lot of people think in terms of them being, oh, this is a new thing. It's not. We've been doing it for a very long time. Well, we have kind of reached the end of our episode. Um, Before we kind of sort of sign off, I I do kind of want to ask... I mean, Jules, would you ever consider writing for graphic novel? Or do you think any of your work would be particularly suited to a graphic novel adaptation? Um, You know what? I'd love to do like a,
1: like, unveiled between universe um, where it's all part of one big story and to be honest that universe is just getting bigger and bigger so that, that would be quite the undertaking and I think in general because of the sort of uh, the stories that I tell urban fantasy wise that that would actually probably adapt quite well to a graphic novel um, because you can cut out the just my more descriptive phases and you can probably tell it all with a single picture this is where we are kind of thing um, and the, yeah. the drama aspects and the humour aspects, I think, would probably adapt quite well for a graphic novel. I've got a passion project in my heart, which may never come to fruition, which is weirdly a spin off of The King's Knight, but called, um, it, t- it titled in my head The Villains, but spelt as in, you know, a villain as in a, a serf. Mm. Um, and it, it just, <laughs> instead of following like the knights and ladies, etc., it will follow the lower classes. <laughs> And I just think that, that would be really good fun. And it would um, it would obviously be Cuthbert and Dapheth and a couple of other people as well.
0: Yeah, I'm already immediately in my head just like, it's the trio, it's the trio. <laughs> Madeline would really quite like that one to come to pass, I think. <laughs> you have no idea how much I would love it. That would just be amazing. I was thinking actually that, yeah, there are parts of the king's knight that would adapt very well to graphic novel um but also 100 percent the unveiled kind of universe stuff i can particularly see harker and blackthorn as a graphic yeah. novel um and i can particularly on you know on my own side see kestrel as a graphic novel as well um again part of the same universe so i think that that would be amazing i'm so um I'm I did actually...
1: S- I was going to say, actually, I was so picky about artwork, though, because I wouldn't want it to be too basic, but at the same time, I don't want it to be too stylistic either. So I think yeah. it would be quite difficult to please. In terms of actually writing for a graphic novel, I'd love to write for something like... Um, something a bit like The Dark Crystal or something like that. Some, I'd just do the
0: writing, not worry about the artwork. <laughs> you see what I mean? Yeah. I actually... I actually have... It I, I never went anywhere, but I have written a graphic novel. I haven't drawn it, but I have written the first volume of a graphic novel. Yeah. Um, I did it many, many years ago. Um, it it is called Mercury Retrograde, yeah. and it's about um an assassin and a mafia thug who have escaped the life together. And are now currently trying to live an ordinary, regular life together. Um, But of course, their previous lives don't want to let go, naturally. Um, And I really enjoyed writing it. (laughs) I I actually looked back at it um, a, a few weeks ago and I was like, yes, okay, I can see elements that definitely need improvement here but there is some good stuff here i was really enjoying rereading it so perhaps maybe one day that will see the light of day but for the time being it is for me and my eyes only
1: (laughs) i think the thing is i've got so much other stuff that i've got to do first um but if i ever Mm. get to the point where i'm like yeah now is the time when i can just take some time off and play with a passion project i would go and do something like the villains because i think that would be a lot of fun and it would be historically accurate because i can't do it without that
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh that would be amazing well we have reached the end of the episode uh before we go it is time for our dissecting dragons recommendation of the week and jules i believe that you have got one for us um, this
1: week uh this is completely nothing to do with graphic novels this is a book i read recently called the will of the many by james islington and i knew within three chapters it was going to get five stars from me and nothing that happened in the book after that proved me wrong i really really (laughs) enjoyed it the world building is phenomenal um and if you like a story where You've got a, a young male character who is basically, he's been orphaned and he's living by his wits, um, set against the backdrop of the fact that he's had to conceal his identity in what seems to be a post apocalyptic rising Roman Empire with magic. Wow. And somehow he's got to get his way through this without compromising on the few things that he, you know, mor- moralistically, he's kind of got left. Um, mm-hmm. and he ends up getting sent to this very elite military academy, again, based off his cleverness, his wits, etc. Um And on one side, he's got basically a senator who is adopting him as a son and putting him through this military academy, but on the proviso that he will spy for this guy while he's there. And on the other side, he's got the rebels right. who know who he really is and are also trying to use him. And meantime, he's just like, I just want to get through this and leave this fucking empire <laughs> this is what I'm trying to do um, it's not it's accessible but it's not an easy read in the sense of you do have to pay attention every word is important um, I've never read any James Islington before I do have his Lycanus trilogy on my to be our list and I'm going to have to bump that up the, the pile for next year because if that's anything mm. like this um, then I can't wait that long but it, it's inc- it's so difficult to describe it, it's incredibly, incredibly good it's just um, so well done and such a likable main character and weirdly we've got to the point now where a male character who starts in this scenario um, is something of a novelty <laughs> so <laughs> I really enjoyed it in that way as well Okay, I, that sounds really
0: interesting
1: <laughs> it's, um, it, it is a good audiobook as well
0: i will add okay thank you very much i will definitely have to check that out and on that note guys we will say thank you very much for listening do get in contact tell us what some of your favorite graphic novels are whether you agree with us whether you disagree with us we always love to hear from you um but till then i hope you all have a lovely week and we will catch you guys next friday yeah thanks and goodbye bye you've
1: been listening to dissecting dragons the speculative fiction podcast you can follow our podcast at podbean.com or from itunes for more information visit our facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash dissecting or check out our author websites at jaironside.com and madelinevaughan.com please note that no dragons were harmed during the making of this podcast